0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of our show where we sit down again with Ian Morgan Cron to walk through each of the nine numbers of the Enneagram. Along the way, you'll gain some insight into your potential number, how it might help you understand yourself better, and what it all means for how you interact with others both at work and at home. I am Harris III, and this is the Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way
1: to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway.
2: To be a writer, we have to sit
3: down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound
1: by what is possible.
4: We are proud to be storytellers.
5: My name is Kate, and I am a six.
0: That is my wife, Kate.
5: As a six, I would be considered reliable, hardworking, responsible, and trustworthy. But I can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious. Um, I think mostly cautious and indecisive, I guess is what they would say.
0: I wanted you to hear an example of how the Enneagram has been helpful in understanding yourself but also how it changes the way you interact with those you care about.
5: Enneagram has been helpful in just kind of understanding the big picture on my personality, both the good and the bad.
0: How has it changed the way that you interact with other people?
5: It depends. I think if people understand the Enneagram when I tell them that I am a six, they have a better understanding of what the strengths and weaknesses are for me. Um, And probably have a little bit more grace on the weaknesses. (laughs) Plus it just, I, I honestly think just me understanding the quirks of who I am and my personality has made me more aware of them so that I can adjust accordingly.
0: The Enneagram is great at providing insight into your own life, but for me, it has been especially helpful in how I work with and collaborate with others.
2: I am Sam Steele and I am a two. I am a feeling type, so I am typically compassionate, intuitive. I am basically constantly thinking about others' needs and how I am able to help fulfill those needs. (laughs) My role in other people's lives, basically. (laughs)
0: Sam co-owns an artist management company that manages a who's who list of amazing artists based here in Nashville.
2: The Enneagram has been helpful, I would say more so in learning other people's types than my own, just kind of figuring out how you can relate to other people. As far as learning about my own type, it's been nice to kind of see it all on paper, both the good and the bad. Um, You get to the bottom of the list where they talk about how you feel when you're unhealthy, and you kind of get that pit in your stomach, and that's how you know that that's really your number. Um, but it's just been great to kind of see it on paper and know that each number has the good and the bad. And hopefully everybody's feeling the same way when they read theirs. Oh, this there's this great thing about me. And also, you know, that part's not so great. Maybe I can work on that a little bit.
0: Has it changed the way that you collaborate on projects with with the people that you work with?
2: I would say it's definitely changed the way I collaborate on projects, Um, especially learning other people's numbers and just knowing that, hey, some people need a little bit more space or some people might need some more time to think about this big idea, whereas I'm typically just kind of ready to jump right into things and just being able to know each client's number has really helped to uh cater to their needs which again is what i want to do best
0: we're about to jump into week two with ian morgan cron but i wanted you to hear from others who can speak to how the enneagram has been helpful to them If you missed last week's interview with Ian, take some time to go back and listen when you have a moment. It'll give you some additional insight, not only into what the Enneagram is, but into Ian's life as an artist and storyteller, his background, and where he's coming from as he breaks down each number this week. Let's start with a clear picture of what we're about to walk through.
1: First of all, I don't like the... I've always struggled with the words numbers and types, you know, because they're so reductive. Uh, And, you know, the Enneagram doesn't try to put you in a box, it, if anything, it tries to tell you about the box you're in and how to get out of it,
4: mm, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Pigeons belong in pigeonholes, not people. And even pigeons probably don't belong in pigeonholes. You know, they should fly, you know? So, <laughs>
4: sure. you
1: know, uh, so these things sound very boxy to me. I, let's just say styles. I, mean, I don't know what the right word is, you know, but ways of being in the world of, you know, everybody. Think of them almost like glasses, you know. Uh, everybody's wearing a different set of glasses. They're, they're mm. seeing the world differently when... when
0: Okay, so... So there are nine lenses?
1: Yes, exactly. That would be a nice metaphor as well. Um, and you take in information differently. You react differently. You process differently. You think, act, and feel differently as you look through these lenses, right? The word personality, basically, if I were to give it a simple definition, and by the way, in the world of psychology, there's about a zillion schools of psychology, many of which argue with each other constantly. So it's not like there's a fixed definition, but for lack of, you know, just for our sake, you know, it's the way that we consistently act, think and feel uh, over, as I said, consistently over a long period of time that would help people say would identify you this is your way of being in the world so that's why you know a spouse or a dear friend could hear about you having a car accident you know like a fender bender and go oh i know how that turned out because they know the way that you have behaved over a consistent period of time they know chances are how you responded characteristically right so these are ways of being in the world right and so there are nine numbers uh, or styles but there's really an infinite number um, the first objection I often get is, "Oh, please, seven billion people, nine is nine personality types." Give me a break. They're really kind of more buckets, you know. Um, I often use paint as the analogy, right? That we know from science that there's not just red. You just go to the Home Depot mm-hmm. paint aisle, you'll you'll learn this really fast. There's a million, there's an infinite number of shades of red. So you could correlate that to the enneagram and say if threes are red, uh, then there's an infinite variety of shadings there. And so you, you just have to honor the fact that you are your own shade of red, but you are red. You're, yeah. still, you're still that primary color. And so you do share in common traits with other people. This is just a fact. Right? You, you people say, "Oh, I met someone you loved love the other day." They're just, you know, you have all the same, you know, kind of thing going on. It's like, you know, they're kind of alluding to the fact that you share a constellation or
0: the same pair of glasses. What's the best way to figure out your number?
1: Read about it and go to a workshop. Don't trust tests. Don't do the test. See, here's the thing about tests, and it's not because the enneagram doesn't, you know, this whole idea of scientifically validated stuff is a little bit specious. Like, for example. The Myers Briggs is not a scientifically validated instrument, and yet people treat it as though it's the gospel truth. I can't tell how many companies. It also has a
0: really low reciprocity rate. Right? Like-
1: yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, the, all of these things have gigantic margins of error, because a self-report assessment like a test, pre, this test can't tell if you're being honest.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't even know if you have the capacity for self-honesty, right? So. I know a lot of people will take a test and they'll actually just fill in the blanks to describe the person they'd like to be versus who they are. Uh, or they'll fill it out because uh, maybe they don't have much self-awareness and they don't know how they affect other people or who they are. They're, they're not very self-reflective. And so they answer wrong. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons why a test could could. Now, I think it's a good data point, maybe a good start. It's a vestibule in the house, but it's not the house. Right. In order to get that. You know, you've really got to do some work, uh, reading and, you know, being around people who really know it and help you walk through is
0: there, it. Is there a great book on it that you recommend to you? I actually could recommend <laughs> several, but at the, at the moment I've been only talking
1: about one. <laughs> that's my job.
0: <laughs> yeah. So pick up The Road Back to You, study it, go to a workshop if you can. Definitely.
1: And mm-hmm. understand that you it, it's not in, in a culture that would like to have things be very fast, right? diagnostically it is not fast you know it took me probably a year uh, before I realized for a penny really dropped and I was sure mm-hmm.
0: so are there people who they take a quick test or read about it a little bit and go oh I'm definitely this and then oh yeah there are later, certain numbers go, oh, I'm not. oh, oh
1: yes that happens a lot but there are also certain numbers where it's so obvious if you land smack in the middle of it where if you think of a number as a circle right if you land dead in the center of that circle you know, yours are just so identified. And there are certain numbers where that's usually the case. Like eights, you know, we always start workshops with eight because eights just know immediately that's what they are. And if they don't, everyone else around them is saying, dude, gal, <laughs> you are an eight. <laughs> <laughs> don't fool yourself. That was
0: actually me. I read it. I was like, this this says I'm an eight. And I'm like, this doesn't sound like me. Oh. And then we were on a bus in Israel, ironically, and like six people go, no, Harris, you were a ab- Absolutely an eight. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was like, why? I don't. And I kind of got defensive about it. I was like, I don't know. I'm not this. Did you yell? Did you get in an argument about it? I I rarely yell. (laughs) But then other people, like Sammy, found out I was an eight and she goes, Oh, that's kind of surprising. Maybe that means you're a healthy eight. I don't know. Like, I don't. It's. Well,
3: because the only eights that I've known in the past have been on an unhealthy spectrum.
0: But people are often intimidated by me, which I don't understand either. I don't view myself as a very intimidating person. But.
1: Well, when we get to eight, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. <laughs> it's, toward, it's toward the end. Yeah, I don't want to make this uh, up. Right? So, yeah, this I'll is really a, the...
0: welcome to Harris's psychotherapy session. This is...
1: Well, you know, <laughs> actually, it's very helpful to people because when when people are in the process of, when they're listening into the process of discovery, it helps them figure out their own thing, you know. Oh. so Yeah.
0: So let's
1: start. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to start at one, one, even though that's not normally where I would, but. It doesn't matter the order. There's no one is great, nine is bad, or vice versa. You know, it's like... There's no levels. There's definitely. no levels. They're yeah. Just, they're, <laughs> just, they're just actually just labels or tags so that people have some way to talk about each of these styles.
0: As I mentioned last week, this special episode originally all came about because of all of our previous guests who were constantly bringing up the Enneagram number in their interviews. That led to a need to satisfy our own curiosity, and the whole story team started looking into learning our own numbers for weeks it was a constant point of discussion in meetings and hallways around the office i couldn't wait to sit down with ian to walk through each of the nine numbers especially with sammy she spent far more time studying the enneagram that i have and our conversations have been really helpful to me and she had a lot to add to this conversation at least during the times i didn't hijack it you see i went into this interview thinking i was an eight and as you'll discover partway through the interview i begin to realize with ian's help that I was wrong. I can't tell you how helpful this conversation was in understanding the motivation behind some of my behavior, and I hope it's helpful to you as well. And also, just a reminder that in addition to being an artist, storyteller, and teacher of the Enneagram, Ian is also a psychotherapist and a priest. That means you'll also be hearing some spiritual context and perspective from Ian along the way. Okay, let's jump in. Here they are, the nine numbers of the Enneagram.
1: So ones are called the reformers or the perfectionists, depending on who the teacher is. Uh, their, their need or their desire is to improve or perfect themselves, others, and the world around them. Uh, that's a deep driving motivation. Fundamentally, they want to be good, virtuous. Uh, they want to be um, people that are um, improving the world. And uh, it's a great gift. Uh, if you think about it, they really represent the perfection of God, right? Now, the problem with it is, as with every other number, when you take a characteristic like that and you take it to the extreme, it becomes a distortion. It becomes unhealthy. You've sort of grabbed hold of some dimension of who God is, and you've now so overfocused on it to the exclusion of everything else that it, it starts to run riot. So when a one is healthy, they're like Atticus Finch from To Kill a Mockingbird. They are, oh, they're wonderful. They're highly detail-oriented. They are very concerned about fairness. Um, they will stand on principle. They are ethical. They are reliable. They show up for life. You can count on them to do what they say they're gonna do. I mean, I just go on and on, right? When they're unhealthy, they can become uh, rigid Black and white thinkers who are judgmental and critical of others who have such high internal standards that neither they nor anyone can live up to them, and they will radiate resentment. You know, kind of their cardinal sin is anger, but it leaks out as resentment. Two, so the threes uh, are called the achiever or the performer. They're driven by a motivation to succeed and avoid failure at all costs. Okay. I think threes really kind of represent the glory of God. Um, These are people who shine. These are people who get stuff done. Uh, These are accomplishment animals. I mean, they just uh, live to accomplish a task or, you know, set up goals and crush them and move from one to the next. Uh, And they are, you know, at their best um, people who... Move things along, man. They're leaders, usually, strong leaders, charismatic. Uh, if they're in a healthy space, they're really concerned not only about their own success, but helping others succeed. And it's a wonderful thing to see when they're in that space. When they're unhealthy, when that glory thing, you know, they, you know, when they're healthy, they want to spread the glory. Uh, when they're <laughs> unhealthy, uh, they have a deep need to be admired. Okay? They are people who are able to adapt uh, their appearance, the image that they project to other people to deceive in some ways, even though this is all unconscious reflexive behavior. Okay, so same thing with ones. If they don't know what the motivation is, they're just on autopilot doing all this crazy stuff. So, you know, threes will cut corners to get the job done. They will... Uh, this, this profound need to be admired uh, takes over, and they will... Um, maybe take credit at work for things they didn't do. They'll gun for the promotion. They'll uh, need to be the star. They can never just be on the bus. Uh, there are people who believe that the world only values other people for what they do, not for who they are. Um, this that's is why I feel wound. like I might be a three instead <laughs> of an eight. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, when you said that you don't argue much, I was like, hmm. Uh, so, I always, uh, when I
0: argue, I always feel like I need to argue. But when I hear someone describe a three, I'm like, gosh, that is my life story.
1: Yeah. yeah, So you understand that, that Especially in America That if you're a three This is a three country this, mm-hmm. So I know I skipped twos by the way We'll come back to it <laughs> I thought I started on two That was the problem um, <laughs> so, so threes are Twos, threes and fours Are the most image conscious numbers On the Enneagram And so I'll go back to two in a second But when a, when a three walks in a room You know What's the first thing Their attention fixates on They look at the room and they immediately launch audience analysis software and they are reading the room, trying to figure out what the collective values, like what are the preferences and the expectations of the room? And then they literally, like a chameleon, can adapt and become the poster child of that group's, you know, whatever that group thinks is the zenith you know what is the Mm. oh this is what our guy or woman looks like this is it this person's awesome uh and they'll just work a room like a guy running for mayor uh like they just become the room and in in pursuit of to be glory I mean it's like you know I want to be the glory of the room and uh I want to be admired now let's jump back to twos okay twos are called the helpers and these are people who are deeply driven by a need to meet the needs of others. Now, when they're healthy, who doesn't like a giver, a helper, right? Like, uh, we're talking about the love of God here, right? So if ones are the, per- the perfection of God, threes are the glory of God, we're, just talking, we're talking about love, the love of God. Now, when that gets taken to an extreme, what happens is uh, a helper becomes someone whose need to meet the needs of others Begins to use it manipulatively, right? So, twos want to meet your needs because they want to establish a silent contract with you that you will meet theirs without their having to acknowledge them. Uh, this is why their sin is pride, by the way. Uh, they, you know, they'll there's a quid pro quo going on here you're going to meet my needs if I meet yours because they actually don't believe that they're. Loveworthy that the only way that they will be loved is if they're needed they can't they don't believe that they can be loved for who they are. The three doesn't believe they can be loved for who they are either uh, they believe that they have to become someone else all the time in order to be loved you know to adapt uh, an image These are all three numbers, two three, four that are projecting
0: images for reasons of identity
1: so You know, that's what the two does. Fours, I'll go faster now. Uh, Fours are...
0: Don't feel the need to go faster. Okay, so
1: fours are called the individualist, sometimes called the tragic romantic or the romantic. These are people who are motivated by a sense within themselves that they are somehow or another deficient or lacking something that others have that makes them different, uh, incapable of belonging in the world and that they adopt their need is to be special or unique. And it's a compensatory act, you know, like if I'm special or unique, um, I can apprehend a sense of identity and meaning in that and to cover up this sense of irredeemable deficiency and, you know, find my way in the world, you know. Now, of course, like all numbers, there are strategies for finding love and being happy all actually thwart <laughs> This is true of every number, right? Our strategy for making life work actually doesn't make life work. It did as a kid. I mean, it worked when you were little. The problem is is if you carry it on into adulthood, stuff that made you help you survive in the morning will kill you at night. You know, so you, James says, you know, you got to let go of childish things, you know. So this is one of the Enneagram things. We don't want to delete your personality. We just want you to disidentify with those parts that don't work anymore. Okay. (laughs) What were you going to say?
3: Speaking of childhood... I was looking at my notes from the Enneagram conference right. and I wrote down that we adopted type in childhood to help us feel safe. Can you talk on that for a moment? Just when do we decide or when do we like put on our Enneagram type lens? Yeah. Typically
1: well, it depends on what school of psychology. I mean, if we dip into that world, you know, you're talking about. But usually, by the age of five, all the soup ingredients are in the you know are in the pot, yeah. you know, working. But they they haven't gelled yet or concretized in a meaningful, coherent way yet. Uh, you know, I would say that you are more than just the product of your family. You you have a temperament that you're born with, and guess what? That ain't going away. You know, you you can work with other things, but you can't play with temperament. You know. Mm. I tend to be someone that's a little bit more melancholy than some people. I have a good sense of humor, I think. I mean, I love to <laughs> laugh. I mean, I do love to laugh and have a good time. And, and you know, I'm, I could be very energetic and not so reflective as I'm being right now. You know, I could be very goofy. But on the whole, I mean, you know, gravitationally, the, the pull for me would be toward a more reflective, oftentimes, if I'm not very healthy, um, a melancholy space that's,
4: you know, it's you know,
1: kind of typical of my temperament.
4: Sure. That ain't
1: changing. What I do with it can change. Mm-hmm. But it ain't that ain't changing, right? That's that's genes, right? That's just temperament. You know, uh, personality is kind of a different animal than that. I mean, it's pu- it's warp and woof of it, but it's not the whole of it. Um, you can work with personality a little bit more, and you can a lot more than you can work with temperament, right? Um, so I think it's in place by five, and it's it's driven by environment. It's driven by culture, cultural expectations, like, what, like what's the expectation of men in America versus Latin America or in Asia, you know? Like, so there are, we conform because we mm-hmm. want to feel safe. We want to belong. We need to be in the herd, right? We, we make it, we add, we adapt. The human personality is adaptive. It's not, it's not fixed. So, you know, we pick up these ways of being in the world so we get our needs met for sure. basic things like food. What do my parents want me to be? You know, how do I live up to that expectation of their values uh, in order to get along with my brothers, sisters, have friends, get food. <laughs> you know? And survive. Live. Yeah, yeah live. <laughs> uh, so going back to fours, I would just say that, you know, their sin is envy. Because they look at other people and they think, you have something I don't, something in your makeup that I don't have in mind. And therefore, I need to find a way to get into the party that I feel you know, I'm out on the island of Misfits. I got to find a way back onto the island where everybody mm-hmm. else is. The problem is, that their strategy for doing it actually keeps them on the island by being so special and unique, <laughs> right? Because mm-hmm. everyone looks at them and goes, "Man, you're the kid at Hogwarts. You really don't belong in here." <laughs> you <know? laughs> so, you know. And then the thing that's so crazy about every number is, then the, the four will think to themselves, "Yeah, but if I'm special, uni- if I'm not specially unique, that makes me ordinary. That's the last thing I want to be." Right, I do. So anyway, it's all very self-defeating behavior that can be dealt with, but you know it ain't easy. It's a life and it was fours. You said a
0: lot of artists are fours.
1: Yeah, a lot of artists are fours. You live on the Isle of Misfits. You feel a little melancholy. You know, you're 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 having to give. You know, fours are flooded with feelings. So, for example, twos want to be appreciated, threes want to be admired, right, and fours want to be special and unique. These are all projections. These are not. So ones you are there. So uh, remind me to talk about that when I talk about eights and nines. How's gotcha. that? Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're all in that two, three, four space. It's all feelings. Twos go to outside feelings. They go to all your feelings. Have no idea what they're feeling, but they know exactly what you're feeling. And most of the time, they're having what they're having the feeling you're having
4: mm-hmm.
1: with you. Three is clueless about feelings, really. <laughs>
2: They don't know how to I recognize. I knew it. I am a three. You know? yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they're just confused. They, 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 they're out of touch with their feelings, and yeah, and but I cry a lot in movies. Threes do all the time.
0: Hmm. Really?
1: Oh yeah, I said oh threes. They I can cry the drop of a hat. <laughs> uh, they don't always know why, and they don't know what it is about something. And threes it, can be very sentimental.
0: It's always a father figure scene. Ah, it's well. uh, you know, or like.
1: That's worth tracking down.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, the first, <laughs> I got my sniffer on. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I first time I remember bawling in a movie was like constantly they they played White Fang a lot when I was a kid. I don't know, we watched it in classes in my elementary I grew up in a really small town. And like every time the kids started throwing rocks at the wolf to try to get him to run away, it's like, no, go, you know. I was just run, like, baby, ah. run! Like that. Yeah, uh, I think somewhere there's like a father-son analogy in there, probably. Yeah. But like uh, Extreme Makeover: Home Edition. Okay. I mean, I guess everybody. But yeah, but like I can I can watch the whole thing stone until the dad. If the dad loses it because he's humbled by someone else providing what he mm-hmm. wasn't able to provide for his mm-hmm. family, I'm like, oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's so when I lose it.
1: We could talk at some point, maybe another conversation one day about myth. And how our culture no longer agrees on the same myths, uh, mm. whether it's Achilles or you know or whatever. But we there are myth myth figures right that carry a lot of energy, lots of power, and fathers carry a lot of power
0: for sure, no question. Uh, and they
1: stir um, stir up for us as moms do or others, you know, very very powerful, m- um, mythic charged material. In us that we carry yeah. collectively.
0: I listened to a conversation of the other day with Richard Rohr, and you know he was reminding me all over again just in that conversation about the role that fathers play and how. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's in hearing you talk about threes. I think that's when I think back to: am, am I a three? I think it's because of so much of my story of, you know, I was I was I made a million dollars before I was twenty-one, traveling around the world as an entertainer. You and got fifty.
1: You can let me till Friday. <laughs> I've got
0: nothing now. <laughs> By the time I was twenty-two, I had almost two hundred thousand dollars in consumer debt. At a boy. And the <laughs> and the reason why is because I bought all this stuff. I I basically purchased the American dream. And when I realized that I shouldn't have made all those choices, I thought it was because I was being greedy. Like, oh, I grew up with nothing. Now look at my nice house and my expensive cars and my nice clothes. And I realized it, it was not even me being materialistic. It was me trying to paint a picture of how I wanted people to see me and control the yeah. perceptions of other people. Boom. So that my dad could the drive down my dropped. street and go, look it's at me. You at just at said, I
1: that? wanted to control the reactions of other people. Yeah. So you were doing it by projecting an image. Totally. And I bet yeah. you there were moments in your life where you felt, I'm a fraud.
0: I still feel that way. Sometimes, ah, yeah. Good. Good. that's yeah, a good totally. Thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, because that should be a red flag to you. That's you know you you may have been asleep and you have been acting in a oh, way. Oh, so you're saying
0: it's good that I've. It's
1: yeah, good yeah that because that I, the sin of the get. three is self-deceit. You, mm-hmm. The problem with threes is that they actually begin to believe they are the image they're portraying. Mm-hmm. And that means it's shifting all day long because whoever you're with, you're portraying a different image. You're 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 kind of tweaking who you are to get the moment that you see in the other person's eyes of wow you rock. I admire you. I actually want to be you, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's kind of the currency of threes. And now remember this need to succeed is because they uh, are afraid that, that, um, that if they don't, that they're unworthy of love. You know, if you think that you are what you do, that's, you know, that's a very painful place to live. And when I mean to succeed, it doesn't mean, you know, to be a CEO of an investment bank or to have a lot of money. It's all contextual. If you were in a mafia, you would, or if you were, on, say you were in a gang on the street and you were dirt poor, well, if you were a three, you would just want to be the head of the gang. It's not like you want to suddenly want to make a lot of money and be an investment banker. Sure. So it's all contextual, that need to succeed or, mm-hmm. or fail. It's not... Yeah, for me, yeah, I
0: often, lately I'm realizing a lot of it is, is about significance. It's like this... It's like people have been like, yeah, but you, what are you talking about, Harris? You've been so successful. Like, look at all these things you've done, and you've always done yep. what you've wanted to do. done. And I'm like, yeah, but the people whose opinions that I feel like matter have yet to acknowledge it and been like he did something of significance. So read Andre Agassi's
1: book, uh, his memoir. Okay. Um, Was we'll he a three? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but, uh, but the reason I'm saying that is, is because, you know, oftentimes people have the least amount of comp- well, there's a couple of numbers in the Enneagram that I think people have the least amount of compassion for, threes being one of them. Mm. We, uh, because people say, ah, oh, you know, they're, he's kind of a, or she's kind of a person who, you know, becomes whoever everyone wants them to be in order to be impressive, or uh, they're kind of BS artists who, you know, don't, they're not who they really are, they're kind of hucksters, you know, and they're on the make.
0: Or professional or magicians.
1: <laughs> yeah, or on the take, you know, they're always on the take, yeah. right? So... But that's an unfair wound. That's an unfair characterization of the wound. Um, I guess he talks about, in one point, he said, I've always hated the game of tennis. There was never a moment from the time I picked up a tennis racket that I liked it. Wow. He said, I wanted to be a soccer player when my dad was pushing me to be a tennis player. But his, at one point in the book, it's really telling. He says, you know, my father couldn't tell the lo- the difference between his love for tennis and his love for me. Wow. Now think about that. Think about that wound. If you if you realize as you look into your father's eyes, and we're going back to father wound
4: here, Mm -hmm.
1: that the only way that you're going to win his love is becoming someone other than who you are, um, that you will have to abandon your true self in order to become the person he wants you to be. And then that extends out later in your life to whoever you're with. Right? You know, if you think about it, that's an act of misguided but real love. I mean, you would love your father so much that you would abandon your true self to to win that love and then extend it to the whole, that pattern of relating to the whole world at a given time. It's great love. It's a great wound. You know, it's a great wound. So I always tell people, you know, like we have to be conscious or awake and aware of the fact that we all carry a wound
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know what it was. Just hearing you talk about it, I can. I know it, it's like a home video in my head. Yeah. I can play it back. I remember walking off stage. I was probably 12 years old, and I had done a bunch of new material in my show. I'm 12. The audience clapped for me, probably not even because it was good, but it was like, oh, it's young kids doing cool magic tricks. I walk off stage, and I, I remember my dad kind of saying, like, that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. Mm. Like that was that wasn't your best, like if I were, and then the, the part I'll never forget is him saying, if I were the person who booked you for this, I wouldn't book you again. Mm.
4: Mm.
0: And how old were you? <clears throat> 12. And I, and I, I know what he was saying. Like now as a grown up, you know, my dad had a father a lot like your father and he, I don't, I don't know that anyone taught him how to be a father. And I think in his mind, that was love. He was going, he's got to succeed. I got to push him to be mm. more. I don't want him to end up living the life that I'm living right now. Mm. So I'm going to push him to succeed. And he needs to know that that wasn't enough. He's got to have what it takes. So he's got to work harder. Yeah. But work harder became, oh, I'm not enough. And so I think that, that, that kickstarted a 10-year cycle of, oh, I'll show the world that I have what it takes.
1: No, that's an 80-year cycle. <laughs> you will always be. Mm. You will always. You, mm. this will, you, you, you will not change the way you see the world. You just can change what you do with how you see the world. Mm.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the more you wake up, the less this thing owns you
4: hmm.
1: the less that wound owns you when you're asleep it has complete autonomy it you are just uh you're like i alluded to earlier like shakespeare said you know uh, no prison is more secure than the one you don't know you're in mm. so for you to know that means that you don't have to be in the cage all the time mm. you'll lapse back into it you know it's reflexive but you can get, you don't have to, you're no longer the prisoner of it. And now you're also, you know too much, you, know? <laughs> you you're now going to be held accountable <laughs> yeah, for yeah. not being I mean, in the cage, I've you been, know. Yeah, I've
0: had an awareness of like a sort of approval addiction, I guess, for lack of a better mm. words of saying it, for, you know, probably the last five or six years. And so I fight against that. And even leading the story communities, it's an interesting challenge for me, I think, yeah. because I've always been the star. You know, and last year I directed a conference, created this amazing experience and right. walked off stage and everyone was like, that speaker was amazing or I took so many notes during that person's talk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that was just kind of backstage going cool. Yeah, so Lucy <laughs> question
1: when you when that happens, let's say you walk off stage and uh-huh. uh you go back to your hotel room or when it's the room is now empty, everyone's gone home. Do you have a sense of yeah, but you know, I the I really I kind of fooled them. You know, I was kinda like a bit of a uh mm, Kind of like the if you've ever seen the musical The Music Man, you know I, I kind of mm. got them all in here, you know, but and I fooled them, but I know the real me, and if they knew, you know, do you know what I mean? Like I just wasn't myself to win their approval. I think
0: there were times of that. I feel like the healthier I get and the the, the more I understand like my journey and how to respond to it, I think I I find myself feeling less of that, you know, yeah. and my I find my value as a person not being tied to applause as much as it used to be. Now I feel like I can totally bomb on stage, and I'm bummed for a short period of time. But man, I walk through the front door when I get back to Nashville, and my three and a half year old son is like, "Daddy, you know Tim, I'm a rock star." And I think becoming a father has kind of put put everything back in perspective and made mm-hmm. me go, "Gosh, like my humanity, my value, all of all of my, uh, to use your terminology, my worthiness of to be loved." Yes, right? yeah. you know, it's, it's not for really, who you are for who not I am for what you do. not what I do. That's the big thing, that's what, when you said that, that's why I'm thinking like, if that's a three, then I don't think I have a wing three, I think I might have a wing eight, but.
1: No, you can't have a wing eight. It's gotta be a two
3: it's or to 4 got gotta be right beside really? each other, yeah.
1: Now, threes, sevens, and eights are the most aggressive numbers on the Enneagram, right? No, that doesn't necessarily mean bad, it means that they just, they move toward people, right? And.
0: I'm not passive. No, you're not. Like, in moments of conflict, like even in a restaurant or with a total stranger or if I see something in public, like, and it's, it's not like me trying to be a hero. It's just like, that's not acceptable. And I'm, I, I will take initiative to go over and
3: say something, say something.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why all my friends were like, oh, you're at eight hands down.
1: Well, we'll get to eights. We'll find out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <it>. okay. Okay. <laughs> Cause here's the deal.
1: We are all nine numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Let's make that clear. I can be an eight when I, you know, I've gotten, I'm a four. I've gotten out of a car and, you near fist fights in a road rage, so you know it I can be highly aggressive in certain situations um even though i'm a withdrawing number i don't i you know i move away i withdraw from people i don't typically you know move toward people or that's you know, just not my style of being way of being in the world but you can you can if you do the right things you know I can get really aggressive um so the, or so the passive, who are like listening. a nine, or I you can, know. G-
3: yeah, yeah. It's I'm not incapable of being. Aggressive. No, you've got
1: access to all those yeah. different traits, and they'll probably be operative in any given day. Sure. The thing is, you have a default setting.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I have a default setting.
3: And when we're not aware, that's how we react. You'll
1: hear the click.
0: <laughs> so yeah. those, those people know. who are listening, going, oh, "I have that in me too. Oh, I have that in me too. I don't even know what number I'm anymore." It, it is because we all have. Every totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Totally. And so it's really where's the preponderance of evidence. And where is it when you you really identify with the motivation? Don't worry about the traits. Zero in on the motivation, the need to succeed, right? So sometimes you act like an eight. Sometimes you're a two. Sometimes you know, in terms of how sure. you appear or the you know these characteristic traits. But which one really captures that motivation? Really captures the what's driving behaviors.
3: I I really appreciated what you said at the conference for The Road Back to You when you were talking about getting down to the motivation, Um, you spoke about, and you and Suzanne both spoke about, um, what were you missing and hearing when you were a child? What did you want to hear in childhood but you feel like you didn't experience? Mm
1: -hmm. Or that you perceive you didn't, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes a parent will, as you were saying earlier, will express love love in a way that we can't hear because of who we are, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's both perceived and real. Uh, experiences. Um, it just doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't there. It mm. just means um, that maybe you weren't able to pick it up. Sure. One or the other, or both. You know. Yeah. So uh, we can do a whole <laughs> show on parenting. It's so hard to it's get like it all, all right. I'm you know? reflecting,
0: realizing, like, <laughs> is it possible that all the conflict in our stories is often over just a simple childhood miscommunication? <laughs> mm.
1: Well, a father uh, figure uh, or
0: a parent figure saying something out of love, and us hearing it out of as a moment of yeah,
1: you know, we pick up, you know, our we <laughs> these early important relationships that we have f- tremendous power um, over our futures, and uh, but they don't have to own us, you know. The more we know ourselves, the more where we are, and the more we grieve and let go, right? Like sevens will hate me right now, but that's <laughs> the that's the truth. I mean, you know, um, we have to accord the what's due to what, you know, in life. And um otherwise it remains in control. Mm. You know, if it's all energy laden with unresolved, unacknowledged material there, you know. So moving on. Uh we just moved out of the heart space, feeling people, two threes and fours, uh five, six and seven. Fives are called the investigators. They're driven by a need to perceive or to understand. These are people who aggregate a tremendous amount of information. And it's all in service to not appearing inept or incapable of dealing with the world's demands. They feel like information is power. The more I know, the more it serves as a buffer uh, against... um, myself in a world that seems too demanding, too overwhelming, like it's taking too much, and I don't have the resources to meet it, particularly in relationships. These people are often seen like loners. They're seen as people who are observing life. Sometimes they're called the observers. They tend to observe life more than jump in and participate in it. You know, they uh, typically are introverted, often have a tremendous depth of knowledge and a oftentimes it's a really niche subject area because what better way to be superior to other people than knowing <laughs> m- being the world leading expert on you know fungus that grows on the side of <laughs> elm trees uh and but they they just pick up these are people go down the wormhole of the internet and they just can't stop it's just hoovers for information
0: interesting is that because of an do they have an inability to wonder because they want to oh, solve all the mysteries or no. is it actually wonder that drives them to research oh no
1: i mean jane goodall You know, the the anthropologist, not anthropologist, but primatologist. Uh, George O'Keefe, there are great artists who are fives. Um, David Byrne, Talking Heads. Uh, Tom York, Radiohead. You know, I mean, I can just, you know, these are people who, when you look at them, they're just, they can, the problem is they can sometimes feel, they're the most emotionally distant and unavailable, distant, I am mostly say unavailable, but often unavailable numbers on the Enneagram, because they're just observing so carefully. A very unhealthy five. If I were going to characterize one, this is a cartoon character figure, (laughs) so don't take it like every five. This is a very unhealthy five. Would be House, the show House. You know, this is a doctor who has tremendous resources of knowledge, crazy amounts of knowledge, you know, but seems emotionally detached and like, like not there emotionally, you know. Um, So their sin uh, is is greed. Uh, They're just sucking up all kinds of, you know, information. And they hoard it. And then the problem becomes that they hoard affection and love. And it it goes beyond just information. They become withdrawn, personal, uh, terrible amount of need for privacy to recharge. Relationships are so hard, much harder on on fives than other people because they, it depletes them, right? They just don't have that energy um, to... Interact with other people like a three, a three, man. God, you all them all night long. I mean, you just, you know, just, you know, just relationships or being with people. That's like a fuel supply, you know. For a five, it's like too much stimulus in the environment, too much noise, too much people, and I'm depleted. I got to run back to my mental fortress. This is the headspace, and recharge. And the way they recharge, man, is information.
0: <laughs> so if there are any fives listening, and they have to collaborate. Do a lot of collaboration, yes. their, their creative projects. What mm-hmm. do they need to watch out for?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, if you're a five, I, I suspect Bill Gates is a five. Uh, I probably could name others. Um, they tend to, uh, if they're a leader... They do not want the glass office in the corner. (laughs) Just tell you right now. You can give that to the three. Uh, What the five really wants is get me an office in the closet downstairs in the basement. Give me 50 PAs between me and everybody else. Uh, So sometimes the problem with fives is they can be great collaborators. You just have to realize that, you know, fives have limited amounts of energy. So here's an example of how the, the, not stamina, I'm not talking about like physical energy. They have so much relationship M- interacting with the world energy before they have to r- withdraw and go into solitude and find more energy, right? Um, so, I have a friend of mine. He's married to, uh, she's a seven, he's a five. Oh you can't gosh. imagine two different types of <laughs> human beings, right? So, they take two cars to parties.
0: No. Uh-huh.
1: Because she wants to stay until one, and he's got till about 8.30 <laughs> before he's got to go home. Uh, he hates small talk. Uh, he doesn't – he feels awkward in groups. Fives typically do. There's sort of a, sort of an awkwardness. Like I don't really know – you know, they don't generally win fashion shows <laughs> uh, because they're minimalists. They want to have the, a very self-sustaining, self-contained life that doesn't rely on anybody else. So they tend to be – uh, you go to their house, you may find 500 National Geographic, but you're not going to find clothes from, you know uh, – Paul Stewart's in New York. I mean, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. like that's not their thing. Uh, so, you know, they've learned to have compassion for each other, and she's fine that he needs to go home. They, they've worked it out. She's not. It's not personal anymore. It's like, oh, this is who you are, and I'm going to push you to stay a little bit longer and be engaged because I'm your your wife. And I need to help you with that. And um, he helps her by saying setting so a curfew. Yeah, I mean, no, well, this, you know, yeah, but I mean, do you okay. see how like he can help her? <laughs> right. Like, sure. like his ability to say. Your need to be, you know, with people where the excitement is, where the next adventure is all the time, can leave you very shallow. Mm-hmm. And so, because you want to avoid unpleasant feelings. Now, fives kind of do, too, in some ways, we all do, but, you know, they they tend to intellectualize feelings. Um, they're highly analytical. There's no number on the anagram that's more analytical. Um, so they're fantastic, but they don't generally like to be in public figures or, you know, uh, unless you're Stephen Hawking or, you know, <laughs> someone like that, where you don't have a choice and they've managed to make it work, you know. Um, anyhow, sixes. The sixes are called the loyalists. We think there are more sixes than any other type in the world. We don't know that for sure, but I think there's some good reasons to argue that that's true. They're, these are loyal people. They're driven by a need to feel secure, to feel uh, and be safe in the world. They see the world as an unpredictable place where something bad is always about to happen. So these are worst-case scenario thinkers. These are people who are always scanning the horizon going, what could go wrong? And so they're always getting ready. You know. So I had, I had a, an aunt who was a six. And I would say to her, I'm going to go see the Stones tonight at Madison Square Garden. And the first words out of her mouth would be, you, first thing you do is you find the exits. <laughs> Like, and why? I would be like, what? why? What? I was just hoping they were going to play like Street Fighting Man. I wasn't really thinking about where the exit was. And she'd be like, well, you know, in case there's a fire, you want to be the first one out. You know, she's like already planning the worst case scenario, right? Now, that's a funny extreme example, but I was talking to the of the days, a six. And, I'm married to a six. Okay, so, context. you know, they'd be like, you go through a bad neighborhood, you know, lock your doors in the car. <laughs> or, um, you know, one six, and I did a sh not a show, a uh, workshop in in manhattan uh and the six countries says you know even on the way over here i was thinking you know what if a terrorist drove up on the sidewalk which building would i run into <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh there, there you go so this need to feel secure you know and to feel safe um they're they're five sixes and sevens they're all planners they're all thinkers and so they're always getting ready uh but they have different ways of dealing with fear so fives will treat up into the headspace way in the back in the mental realm, right? And what sixes do is they just, they're on alert. Uh, they, and so they're, they're always thinking about who the authority figure is because they, they want to know, how do I either attach to the authority figure or detach from that authority figure? Because that authority figure represents my security. So they're always looking outside of themselves for security, uh, always looking outside of themselves for safety. Uh, which then means that there's more people in this country or in any country that are fear-based like that. Anyone who stands up and says into a microphone, I am the only person who can keep you safe, becomes a very attractive option as a mm. leader.
0: So collectively— Sounds like our recent election. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but,
1: but you know what? This is not the first time. Is it in true history. there are more
0: sixes than in America? Well,
1: you know, I think in the world there probably are. Uh, if you talk to Germans, they all say that six. Germany is a six country. Interesting. There, are we collectively people who want to feel secure, right? Collectively right. want to find a leader that is answering. Go to churches. People are always looking for a strong, charismatic leader who's answering questions you haven't even thought of yet. A six is like oh. Thank you. Uh, you know, every time they turn to think about television, you know, we've got a situation room with Wolf Blitzer for crying. Wolf Blitz! I mean, it's unbelievable, right? It's like, so how do you hook people in? Fear. Mm-hmm. You just keep telling them, you know, uh, breaking news. It's like breaking news. with like, you know, I don't know, Kardashian's butt is on, a, on YouTube. <laughs> That's now breaking news. It used to be landing on the moon. But now they just ratcheted up fear because they know that your brain, your body is built to respond to fear. Right. So physiologically, these people are tapping into. But here's the great thing about sixes when they're healthy. They are the funniest people on the planet and um, they are loyal. They hold us together. They watch out for us. Um, If you want to have a person who can spot the problem in the plan, they're the first one. Mm. So if you're in a meeting... A dream meeting, let's say, with three sevens and eights, right? They love to surround a whiteboard up new plans and ideas and goals. And we can do this. We can take over the world. And the six will be the first one to raise their hand and go, "Um, so I think if we try that, there's going to be a cash flow problem. And all the three sevens and they go, he always rains in our parade. So, by the way, so in a setting, in a company or a team or whatever, in church, whatever your setting is, never invite the six to the first meeting.
0: Or at least not the idea meeting.
1: Exactly. Don't invite them to the ideation session. Invite them to the third meeting when you have a plan and somebody who's got a wise mind, who's a devil's advocate, can go, um, Can we just tap the brakes on that and realize that's a three year project, not a six month project? Because when you, do you see where I'm going? Yeah. So when you say, I've got this dream about that, you know, yeah, it's a good dream, but I always tell people, Duh, if you're a six, don't say the word but around three sevenths and eighths are in a meeting. Use mm. the word and. Mm. Always use the word and. Uh, so you say
4: that's a great idea, and
1: I wonder if we, you know, from a cash flow perspective, want to think about that over three years. That's a big difference. Mm. See how you knowing communications styles uh, can. Yeah create a lot of efficiencies
0: yeah i think this is the beauty of the enneagram <laughs>
1: yes all right so i um, leaving last about sevens the enthusiasts stephen colbert uh you know just these are people for life every day is a snow day uh <laughs> they just they are joy bombs uh they're fantastic human beings they're driven by a need to avoid unpleasant feelings psychological and emotional you know uh pain and uh the way that they do it is by constantly, up in their heads, planning and thinking about the future, the next great escapade, the next great adventure. Oh, we're going to go out to the – let's go to this restaurant tonight. My son's a seven. I love him. Calls the other <laughs> day. I went fly fishing. It's the greatest thing ever. And he's just, you know, or, uh, you know, and then to next week it'll be, I went trap shooting. Oh, my gosh, it's the best thing ever. And, you know, they're just – they're just all over the map. They're like Tigger, you know. It's just life is – there now, so here's the problem. There's sin is gluttony. There's never enough of these, right? There's never enough. And you can't think your way out of pain or outrun it for your whole life. If you do, you will become the archetype of sevens, which is Peter Pan. You'll never want to grow up. And at 20, that's charming. And at 40, it's shallow. And so you, you just become somebody that is in depth. Which is why Colbert fascinates me because he's clearly got that some of those seven traits. I don't know because I don't know what his motivations are. So I'm careful to say I know that for sure. But he's had a lot of suffering in his early yeah. life. So watch the interview between him and Joe Biden as they talk about death and their families and how they dealt with it. And listen to Colbert talk and you realize that's a man who knows both joy and suffering. Yeah. And when you know somebody like that, they are profoundly wonderful people to have in your midst. Great ideators. Whew. Good Lord, they go from one idea to the next, monkey mind. And they're incredibly creative, innovative. Um, I know lots of people think that Steve Jobs was a seven, but I'm not so sure. He could have been. But um, uh, because of his ability to see patterns, um, and ways of doing things, but you know, again, people are more complicated than numbers, so he's, he's a very complicated human being, was a very complicated human being.
0: I, I have a lot of friends who are sevens, and one of my, one of the things I notice, I have a tendency to notice, is that they're always busy. They can't, mm-hmm. they don't oh, have time to yeah. spend time and nope. hang out with you, Mm-mm. and it's like they spread themselves so thin, it's yes. like the relationships never deep reach the depth that's right. that I accomplish with some of my other relationships. Yep. Is that a common problem? Yes. Yep. So that's just a seven thing, I guess.
1: <laughs> if you stay still to too long feelings catch up that are uncomfortable if you're in the present moment all the time feelings may come up that you don't want to really look at uh so if you keep moving you can escape it you can get away from it or intellectualize it or rationalize it or you know what i mean that's they have a whole host of defense uh, systems to avoid pain and if you decide to share a lot of your pain with them they definitely will be like i gotta go yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, don't process a lot of pain with a seven.
0: And they run the risk of having a thousand acquaintances, but...
1: Right. Now, your temptation will be, I gotta find a two, a helper, a lover, who's just gonna, you know, don't go to a two. Go to a four.
0: H- who should go to a... Well, temptation uh, go to is, a healthy
1: two, but if you're... You're saying
0: so you're, a seven's temptation is to go to a
1: two? N- anybody's temptation, right? You wanna go to a hugger, somebody who knows your feelings, somebody who's gonna, you know, listen to you while you cry and, you know, all this stuff. But they'll also maybe be intrusive. So if your dog dies, it'll show up on your door with a puppy. (laughs) And you're like, that's really not what I need. But the two's like, no, no, you don't understand. I know what you need more than you do. There's that pride piece, right? I know what you need even more than you do, even better than you do. The four is the most empathic number on the Enneagram because they can sit Shiva. They'll just sit with you while you deal with your pain and they will not necessarily intrude. I'll just be there because they're very comfortable with dark feelings. We're very, I, you can say, you can tell me anything about yourself and I won't blink. I'll just go, yeah, broken world. Mm. Keep talking. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're just like very comfortable in that space. People, mm. you know, when we're healthy, we're really good at that. So uh, eights, the challengers, we're coming toward the home stretch. Uh, eights are the most, well, how do I say it? They're gigantic personalities. Um, they are now moving into the anger space. We've just left um, the mental space, you know, the sort of the thinking-oriented people. These are now into the intuition, the body-centered people. And uh, they are forces of nature. Uh, they're hard to mistake. Um, they are blunt, domineering, controlling, aggressive, combative, <laughs> contentious. They can get into an argument in an empty house. Okay? <laughs> These are people that... But, but understand something. Here's the underlying motivation. It's they present this need to control, this need to be in you know, uh, in a position of dominance because they see a world in which the strong survive and the weak get taken advantage of. And they are absolutely committed to not being mm-hmm. taken advantage of. And all of this rough exterior and uh, armor is designed to hide what's always at the center of AIDS, which is a very tender and kind a loving and loyal human being, uh, but those are—they confuse vulnerability with weakness. So to them, they have to learn that actually being defended is cowardice. Uh, that you know that vulnerability is courage, right? But that doesn't communicate. That doesn't compute very well for an eight, you know, when especially when they're sort of immature. Uh, eights um, when they're healthy. Martin Luther King. When they're unhealthy, Vladimir Putin or others uh, in the current political landscape. Um, so, uh, so the anger goes outward from them, it externalizes, right? It, it, it radiates power. And it's really not, you know, their sin is lust because it's really not anger what they're doing. It's just, they just, these are the most, in, they're just intensity. They're, they're, they lust for intensity. They just, whew, they Should go,
0: AIDS stay off Twitter?
1: Well, I think just about everybody should stay off Twitter, <laughs> uh, you know. I, and I also think that most people should be limited to 140 characters a day when they talk about God. Uh, <laughs> so I see the value of Twitter, but you know, uh, you know, it. Yeah, they're very react. They can every number can be reactive, but eights can definitely. They're impulsive. Hmm. Uh, they can. They can do a lot of damage, um, because to them. Uh, What feels like intimidation to you feels like intimacy to them. What feels like conflict to you or confrontation to you feels like connection to them. So if you tell an eight, God, why are you so angry all the time? Why are you so intimidating? Why are you so like, they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just an honest straight shooting person. What's the big deal? And you will be like, well, you three days ago, you beat the crap out of me in a conversation. You were so blunt. And I've been thinking about it ever since. they will be like, remind me of the conversation. And I remember the conversation you are talking about. Because that's how they are. They're, they just moved on. It's like, you know.
0: So, anyhow, that's eights. Uh, so, I'm so confused now. Because <laughs> when we were on threes, I was like, oh, maybe I am a three. And then you say, that's like I have so many examples in my life of work relationships gone wrong. Because apparently... I was offensive and too blunt. I was just kind of a jerk in a meeting. The threes
1: can do that. The threes are out of touch with feelings. They're out of touch with Mm. other people's feelings. Look at the motivations. The three's motivation is a need to succeed and avoid failure at all costs. The need of the eight or the motivation underlying the eight's traits or characteristics, behaviors, thoughts, actions, uh, is driven by a need to be in control and to hide or mask vulnerable feelings, uh, which they fear others will leverage and use against them if they see it. So, you know, you got to deal with the motivations. Don't worry about traits. You're looking at traits right now. Oh, I can, I do that all the time. No, 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 no. Why do you do it? It's mm-hmm. not what you do. It's why you do it that determines your number. So don't get hooked on, that sounds like me because I do that all the time. Think about what's the driver, mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: okay? Nines, let me just finish up. Mm, nines are the peacemakers. Often the, called the sweethearts of the enneagram, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> and they 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 have a need to avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, they they these are wonderful human beings and they're healthy. Um, they can reconcile irreconcilable differences. They they are able to see the world through everybody's eyes. Unfortunately, when they're not healthy, except their own. They tend to merge either with a group or with another person. These are people who, uh, in the interest of maintaining peace, will not uh, assert themselves. They they don't feel like their presence really matters. What's the point? I'll just go along to get along. Um, Their preferences, opinions, uh, the things that they want, their desires, their ambitions, always seem to be secondary to the person with whom they've merged or the group with whom they've merged. So these are people that have to learn how to individuate and differentiate, become their own people, claim their own ground, claim their own authority. These are people that, uh, you know, need to realize that the peace that they're going for is actually oftentimes very selfishly motivated. They just don't want their inner world to be disrupted. So it looks like, oh, they're so nice, and they're always so agreeable. They're always so, you know, go along to get along or, you know... Uh, adaptable or whatever, it's because they don't want conflict. <laughs> and what if your preferences and opinions and desires right? Uh-huh. out, they don't want theirs to disrupt the relationship if they assert them. So their sin is? Sloth. Sloth. Uh, because they don't want to really invest in themselves. There's a spiritual laziness. It's not... They're always busy, in fact. Nines are plenty busy. We, the last couple of presidents, I mean, the last five presidents, I think there's probably two or three nines. So it's not like they don't get stuff done.
3: We just don't know what we're doing. They
1: just... The yeah, they... But <laughs> like you see what easily they're easily
3: distracted.
1: They're easily distracted, in part because they're not used to, A, that their priorities matter. So they're like, well, what are my priorities? They're not very bad at good, good at prioritizing. But, but secondly, they're distracted, I think, uh, because there's a these are this is the anger space right so you've got eights who direct anger outwardly you got nines who direct it Though they don't actually know what to do with their anger they're asleep to it but trust me no one would ever guess this eights and nines nines have every bit as much anger as an eight does
3: yeah i heard that i heard that nines are the angriest number when I uh, f- can be i guess can be yeah yeah, yeah. um
1: actually there's a couple of subtypes that are some people say, "Oh, the eights are the, could be the most cruel number on in the enneagram, or something." And I'm like, oh, "You've never seen a it's called a uh, a one-on-one or a sexual eight. They can be remarkably cruel. Mm. I mean, I mean a uh, four, four, four. Uh, yeah. okay. some type of a four called the the one-on-one or the sexual four. Oh, good night. They can be cruel, um, surgically cruel. Uh, and but nines are just asleep to their anger, so it comes out passive-aggressively, not not forwardly like a uh, nine. Ones, who we started off with. It it leaks out sideways because they're always repressing angers. The anger's turned inward. So, let me just conclude by saying this: one, perfection of God; two, the love of God; three, glory of God; four, that beautiful creativity, the the you know of God. You know, the five would be the omniscience or the all-knowing dimension of God. Six, the loyalty, unfailing loyalty of God. Sevens would be the joy of God. Eights would be the the power of God. And nines would be the peace of God. But if you take any of these ones and you attach to it and take it to the extreme, it becomes a distortion that uh, does damage in the world to you and to others. The trick is to be all nine numbers uh, and to be a person who doesn't cling so hard to one that your hands aren't open to all the others. So that's the direction that we want to move in.
0: So good. So there you have it a basic overview of all nine numbers. If you want to dig in more to the Enneagram, be sure to pick up a copy of Ian's book, The Road Back to You, and check out his podcast by the same name. And if you really want to dig in deep, Ian had a few more recommendations. That and some killer closing insight about the Enneagram in the context of story and narrative. You've got to hear this.
3: What's the best resource for figuring out if you have a wing?
1: Or not. Oh, you definitely have a wing.
3: What's the best resource for giving guidance on that?
1: But, you know, there's a couple of books that are sort of the, you know, works that people turn to a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, one would be the Riso and Hudson book um, on the Enneagram. It's the, yeah, uh, I have the that one. Yeah. Another one I really like, but other people, you know, I mean, I love this book, uh, is Beatrice Chestnut's book, The Enneagram. Uh, but it's not, the reason we wrote a primer is there isn't a primer out there. There's no mm. book for beginners out there that's right. deep enough. Right. That you can get something out of it and walk away feeling like, well, I don't need to read another book. That was enough to move some needles. Um, and I understand the Enneagram now in its basic, very basic form. It's a great introduction. But the most the reason I say all this is because some of these books are four and 500 pages, and they become very, very dense and very technical. And it's too far down the wormhole for people who have full-time jobs, you know? Sure. So...
0: Unless That's, you're a five.
1: Unless you're a five, which case you would read every single one. Well, they love models. I think oh. my father-in-law is
0: a five. can you describe that? He's like the poster five.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I could, if you said to me, how do I relate to my five father-in-law, I could really help you. I how could do, really help how you. I could I relate, tell you. How do
0: I relate to my five father-in-law?
1: <laughs> just realize that it's not personal. It's like you, you might feel like, why is he so detached? Why doesn't he seem all that interested in me? Why does it seem like he just doesn't seem to be emotionally available? Or you know what I mean? Like, or understand that's not personal. And uh, why does he need to be alone? Why does he withdraw so much? Uh, why um, you know? I give and so ways to give him space to honor his need for privacy. Um, don't ask him questions like, uh, so uh, tell me about your childhood. You might ask me. I'm a four. I'll talk to you before all day long about my childhood. To him, that's an intrusive, invasive question. That's private. He's only going to tell you on a need-to-know basis what you need to know about him.
0: It also explains why he probably doesn't get me as a three if he's a five. Like, you know, he's a CPA, So I'm, and I'm like this incredibly risk-tolerant entrepreneur who's willing to do whatever. and I'm, I'm ambitious, right? Like, let's go build something awesome. And he's like, whoa, like, how are you going to take care of my daughter, you know?
1: Well, remember, they're very concerned about sus being self-sustaining, uh, very concerned with, uh, you know, probably living a more minimalist life um, because they don't want to rely on anybody else. They don't want to have to be in a situation where they have to depend on others. You know, so, you know, here's another example. You give them a present and you you expect them to jump up and down and just be like, hooray, this is the best present I ever got!" I'm just they, like, wow, oh, thank you. Yeah, with a blank face, <laughs> and you'll be like, "Did he like it?" Yeah. Well, in about three days from now, you will, because it takes them that long to actually get to the feeling. You know what I mean? Like, and it'll probably happen in private. Yeah. They don't like to express feelings, especially big feelings, in public. It's it's very hard on them. So, part of their growth path is to have feelings in the moment and to give expression to them. You know, that's a part of their growth path.
0: Is this why, when you say a lot of artists are fours, one of the things I hear a lot at Story when I talk to attendees is, oh, just, I just f- I felt so alone in the world, and I feel like I finally found my people. Oh, yeah. is it's like just a giant room of weirdo artists yeah. who all connect with each other. And, and they're like they notorious
1: belong? for saying that because they idealize groups and people, and then they'll, they'll say, oh, I found my people. And then they'll get close enough, and they'll realize, oh, my, my people aren't perfect. I need, mm. I need to go find another group. I'm looking mm. for the ideal group or the ideal person to be, and why? Because they feel like something's missing and they want you to complete them
0: but that thing they're looking for doesn't exist it does not
1: exist so it's a perpetual it's a sad quest to look for something that doesn't exist mm. because they're not missing something it's a perception problem i said in the beginning like you know we um tend to think we live in the story of god we always say oh you know i'm part of the grand heir of god and you know i live in this in you know, the story kingdom the story of god right Bible is the story of God. The truth of the matter is most people don't live in the story of God. They live inside their own story. Mm-hmm. And so, and maybe that story as a capsule exists within the story of God, but they're not really in it. You, do you know what I'm saying? Like they're first in their own story. And you could actually think of all nine of these things, really, these numbers as stories. These are narratives in our mind that we we live in. So we may not be aware that the underlying plot is my need to succeed. You know, when you watch a movie, the cool thing about watching a movie is you can see the underlying motivation behind Gecko, you know, like uh, in the movie Wall Street. You can see that, what, what's driving that guy. He doesn't see it. And you're wondering, I wonder if he's going to see it before the end of the movie is he gonna see that the reason he loves this woman is X or she loves this guy or I wonder if he's gonna realize that he isn't what he does he is you know he's loved for who he is you know or whatever how is he going to within this story is he going to arrive at the truth right he's living in a story that's a fiction like I always say to people how do you know the story you're living is true like Why do you just live with an unchallenged assumption that all these things you tell yourself about who you are and that you tell other people is true? What if you're living in a fiction? And if that's the case, you need to wake up and find out the real story. And once you can sort of burst the capsule, then you find yourself in the story of God fully, right? All nine of those numbers, by the way, it's interesting, as stories are in direct, indirect opposition to the story of God. Think about that. Every single one of those numbers is a lie. So when people say, oh, I'm a 1, I go, no, you're not. That's a story. You Mm. do not have to be perfect. You do not have to do—you see what I'm saying? You're living in a story that's not true. I I am not missing something as a 4, a 5— does not need to know everything in order to be safe. In the Do you see what I'm saying? Like These right, are stories right. that are...
0: Inc- yeah, it's, the, it's the illusion that you're living under, I guess. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, yeah. you know, it's, um, it's always what made the, the movie The Truman Show kind of interesting, isn't it? That, you know, he realizes this whole thing isn't real. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to get out of this and find the real story.
0: So is the goal to, like, tear up the script that our number gives us?
1: Um, well... Uh, remember, I'm not saying you should delete your personality or your way of being in the world. I'm, I'm heading into a very creative space here with this, this thing I, I don't really hear <laughs> about analogy. people talk about. No, but I think it's true. I mean, yeah. I, I do think it's true because you, if your life doesn't cohere, it needs a narrative to cohere, right, to make sense of it. Otherwise, you're just it's kind of like a news show where you're going from one segment about something to another that doesn't bear any relationship. You just went from Flynn being subpoenaed to a flood in Louisiana, you're going to go from this meeting to another meeting, and it won't have a flow unless there's a story in it, right? So we understand our lives narratively. We uh, define ourselves by our experiences, you know, and how they cohere, and one leads to another. They led me to this conclusion about, you know, whatever. So, you know, without a story, you're actually mentally ill. I won't, you know, I can go down that road, but it would be boring. But you, people who don't cohere, are, uh, you know, that's mental illness. You know, you, it's a terrible place to live where your story is fragmented. You know? It doesn't connect. Pieces don't connect. So it's totally natural that you would find a story that makes sense of your life, right? The trick is to find out what part of it is true and what part's a lie mm-hmm. and to bring your life into alignment with the truth and to, to remove those things that are untrue about who you are your self-perception and your perception of the world. You know, my daughter's an eight. I have to say to her, "Is the world really as dangerous as you say? Are there really no trustworthy people? Have you challenged that assumption?" You know, the natural climate in which healing and growth takes place is always compassion. If you try to shame yourself out of you know, a particular behavior, or if you try to, you, first of all, you'll try and do it within the sort of the structure and the ethos of your number, right? You'll say, okay, well, I'm going to be the most admired master of my threeness. You know, it's like, you're just <laughs> using the same strategy to get rid of your threeness that is your threeness. <laughs> you know, you're know, you actually just probably reinforcing it, you know? Uh, a one would be like, I'm perfectly not going to be a one. It's like, oh, that sounds like a great strategy to me. It sounds like the same <laughs> strategy you were using before, you know, weaponized and turned inward. You know, compassion... Uh, When you're doing your work correctly, you don't really have to do much. It falls away on its own. If you're just aware and you watch it with love and compassion and just remember that that's how God is looking at it, then it just starts to lose its power. It'll start to fall away on its own. You don't really have to do very much. It's not a matter of trying. um, It's allowing God, knowing knowing your junk and being able to say to God, do for me what I can't do for myself, which is change me. And that's called grace.
0: I hope this conversation has been helpful. As always, if it has been, it'd be a huge help if you take just a couple minutes to do two things. One, take a brief moment to leave a rating or review on iTunes. It really only takes a couple minutes and is a huge help to us finding the additional listeners we need to keep this show going. And two, take a second to share this episode online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, along with a brief note about why you enjoyed it. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we've been doing this weekly podcast for over six months now, and every show has been ad free outside of making you aware of opportunities to be a part of the story community through our live gatherings. We've focused entirely on creating engaging content that we hope will be helpful to you as an artist and storyteller, and that it'll keep you inspired to keep creating and telling stories. Honestly, I'd love to keep it that way. If you have feedback, good or bad, please just email me. My personal and direct email address is harrisatistoria.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-S at I-S-T-O-R-I-A dot Someone emailed me recently asking, what is Astoria? It's actually the production company behind all things that we do here at Story, our live gatherings and my own personal live events, and a few other special projects we do for others throughout the year. Astoria is actually the ancient Greek word for the word story. I'd love to hear from you guys. Please reach out anytime. Until then, thanks again for listening to the Story Podcast.
5: This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely, and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.